Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly, as always, on a beautiful, somewhat cold Saturday morning here in downtown Westchester, Pennsylvania. My guest today, you might be able to guess uh, with the intro, uh, comes sailing away by sticks. I have the co-founder, uh, Chuck Pananzo, and um, this is going to be a special interview. I'm very, very excited about this. We're going to cover a whole host of uh, things concerning Chuck, the band, uh, Chuck's personal life, and right on through. So I'm asking you to stick around because this one's going to rank up there in the top five at least of the shows that I've done in the last three or four years. Chuck, welcome to my show. I appreciate it. Hey, good morning, John. Um, we're happy to be here this uh, bright, sunny morning in South Florida. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different weather, but it's sunny. <laughs> what do you have? We got like 35 degrees up here. Oh, you're gonna, uh, this is a big ouch. We have like 75 degrees and yeah. nice and soft sun and you know, kind of like our, our winters happen. Okay, because oh. uh, I'm a basically a sun and beach kind of person. I grew up in the Jersey Shore, but if I can get south for the winter, I take it. I'm telling you, we have enough snowbirds. Um, we always can tell when the Canadians are in town because we know they're the worst drivers when they arrive. <laughs> oh, it's the Canadians. Like, over the end, those Canadians are like South Park. I know the weather seems perfect right now. Everything's great. Right. Oh, oh, I love it. Chuck, I, I, I really want to jump right into this. And again, I thank you for coming on. This is uh, We had a great uh, kind of pre-interview yesterday. I came away from that uh, feeling real good. Uh, talk with my wife. My father's real excited about the interview. He's a huge fan. So we're going to jump right into it. Chuck, you got, uh, you, you were diagnosed with AIDS, uh, what, about 20 years ago or so? Uh, well, in 1991, I was okay. diagnosed with HIV, and late, uh, or I would say late 1998, I contracted full-blown AIDS. Okay, well, we, we kind of wanted to lay it out there as, as the beginning of this, but I, but, but I want to jump back to the beginning here. Your early childhood, now I did some reading, some research on it. Uh, you and, and your brother, John, you guys are twins, or you guys were born twins, obviously. Uh, John has since passed away. You... Um, you felt different in your early childhood. You were saying you felt more sensitive to things than you know than, you, than maybe your friends did or, or other people that you saw. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? It's uh, kind of hard to put your finger on, okay. but you just feel extremely different, and um, you know you are a little more sensitive to everything. You know, there's a certain sense of. of you hear words that you're uncomfortable with. Um, there the terms which are kind of welcome in the family and tradition of, you know, kind of ignorance and, uh, you know, basically immigrant family comes over to the United States and um, kind of trying to be American in the process. You know, yeah. you hear words that make you uncomfortable, um, and you feel you don't know exactly how to put it. And um, by the time you understand it, you feel like you're one of those words they're talking about. This is before you're eight years old. and. Um, I'd rather um, start to shape, uh, to shape my life to think that I was less than, and um, luckily I've gone through that after many years of realizing I'm not less than, I am that and more. So I also was lucky enough to have a twin brother yeah. to kind of keep my back for me to make sure I wasn't bullied at school, you know, this issue we have up today. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I went to the seminary, so I understand all about the church, how they feel now about that I found so, that I found interesting because I was born and raised Roman Catholic. And, and and I wanted to ask you about that going to seminary. Now, at, at what age did you truly know that that you know that you were gay? That this is just who you are. You were born this way, and that's just the way it's going to be. 
Well, I have a very quick story to tell you. I was five years old and I was different. But I had uh, gotten a, I had ridden a bike and I, I got a double compound fracture when the bike fell on me, which means your, your part of your shin just burst out of, out of your leg. Mm. So your leg is now broken in three places. Uh-huh. So they had, I was in a cast for six months. I have more uh, plants are on my leg that help in all the houses in South Florida uh-huh. from the toe to my toe to my hip. Well, those were hard-duty casts, you know, in the yeah. 50s. So I'm walking around on crutches for about four months. I said, that's me in the cast for another two months. So this puts me right back into grammar school. So I'm sitting at my desk, and the second day in school, the man walks up to me and says, Charles, we're going to have, I use a really deep voice for Sister Mary John Edwin. <laughs> she goes, Charles, we're going to have a fire drill today, and we want we're going to give you an eighth grade boy, so grandma will bother right neck really hard so he doesn't drop you. I go, okay, sister. I'm just being outside, right? All of a sudden, I see the eighth grade boy coming down. Oh. So he said, grab me around the neck so I don't drop you. I said, okay. Ten minutes later, he flies me back in the chair, and the nun comes back, and she said, how did that go, Charles? I said, sister, are we going to have another fire drill tomorrow? <laughs> well, that was my realization. <laughs> the whole key was, you know, he had an attraction uh, in a simple way, not in a sexual way, um, because what did I know in second grade? But the whole idea is it just built, that moment just changed. Now, this is what you, this is, this is what makes you different, you know, um, well, you, you, you're not the first one. Like I told you yesterday, I've got many friends that are, that are gay, male and female, and, and, and they've said the same thing, that they, they knew at a young age. And I can say the same thing. I can say at four or five in kindergarten, I was trying to look up the little girl's skirts. I mean, I, I, you know, I knew, and, and there's never been a question in my mind. That's why, as we discussed yesterday, I go back to genetics. I think people are born who they are, period. There's no, you know, maybe there's some, you know, there's some environmental issues or what have you, or people can suppress who they are. Some can do it better and longer than others. But I think at the end of the day, you are born who you are, and I don't think God really gives a damn. You know, John, you hit it around the head. Now, I don't care how many scientific studies they do, how many government studies, how many uh, religious studies they come out and try to defend their position. Ask someone who's gay, and they will tell you, you know, basically 99% will come up with the same conclusion. I was born this way. You know, this idea that it's a choice, I go, well, what day did you decide to become straight? What well, that did that take? And what, and what, what did that happen? Exactly. As we, you know, as we touched before, and Matt, my producer, is also the king of the show here, the king of the station. He's just filling in today. Matt will chime in with questions periodically if he wants. But, but as we talked about yesterday, and I think I've said this before in the air, I'm pretty sure I have, I have this, this theory that, you know, again, 3 to 5% of the population, they say, is, is gay at any one time during the history of the world. Homosexuality has been around since the beginning of recorded time. Obviously, homosexuals cannot procreate or choose not to procreate as far as en masse goes because of their sexuality. Well, then, it must be in the gene pool because it's still here after all these, you know, eons. Oh, well, obviously, we, got, we come from parents who are... Who are Heterosexual, you know, I just didn't burst into the world spontaneously, exactly. uh, uh, and um, it's unfortunate, you know, that in today's society, you know, we've been like we are the men and women who said we're here, as opposed to different generations, because they couldn't all the time say they were there without being sent to jail or persecuted. Exactly, beyond belief, and um, you know. People don't want to hear that. Or do you have? Do you have to say something? I said, no, I'm just gonna be a dummy the rest of my life and let you say well, you define me as who I am. And how can you do that anymore? That I can define you for, for what you want to be based on your fact of how you religious point of view. Um, 
political point of view. You know, how about a human point of view? You ever think of that? Yeah. In the age where now, I don't take much from anybody who doesn't understand or, or care to comment about my sexuality or about who I am as a person. Well, you're you know, right. You're, you're right 100%, Chuck. I mean, you know, look at that poor kid up here. I, I assume you follow the story of the uh, Rutgers student uh, who was videotaped by his roommate and then it was broadcast all over YouTube or what have you. And, you know, the, the poor kid jumped. He jumped to his death from the GW Bridge. As far as I'm concerned, the people who taped that and put it out there for consumption pulled the trigger. You bet. You know, they, they pulled the trigger for this kid. They set that seed of, of um, blame and, and shame and guilt on that boy. You know, he was a brilliant musician, golf, and in, in the middle of his career, a young man who was bullied into suicide. You know, a long time ago, I'd read um, articles what this idea that if you're gay, you're suicidal. You're made suicidal because of that either your parents or society or religion says you're no good. Now, I said to my sister, if you're, when you're someone's eight years old and you tell them it's going to go to hell and, and you tell them it's going to have a life, you took all the hope out of living, at it, a kid's age, well, how do you think they process that? Well, that's well, you're right 100%. Man. I've got a, a 12-year-old daughter who's in seventh grade. I've got a 21-year-old who's graduating from Drexel University uh, in the next year with a nursing degree. I like to think I've raised them as my father and mother raised me to be open-minded, never, ever to attack someone because they look different or their belief systems are different. Look, I, 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 have, I, I live with bipolar disorder. It's something I have. I, I had to come to accept this. It's taken things from me, and it's given me tremendous things. I would never have a radio show if it wasn't for having this disorder. I mean, it's just the way it worked out. It took a military career that I loved, and it's given me this and other things that I never would have had. But... You know, and people, and I hear it all the time. I, you know, people don't say it to me, but you hear about, you know, well, people are crazy if they have this or they're crazy if they have that. It's the same thing as being homosexual. It's genetic. I did not choose to have bipolar disorder. It's in my gene pool. I should guess I could blame my my ancestors, my grandparents, and further back. But I, I that's why I look at kids. I do a lot of public speaking on it, and I just like I assume you do. You're probably a mentor at times of different people throughout your life cycle to help them understand that who they are, there's nothing wrong with that. They just have to let the people who think they're different get the hell out of the way. Well, you know, exactly. You know, don't stand in my way with 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 with, with uh, an ignorance because I will I will flash you away. Out, uh, I'll send a space you won't even believe you're going to go to. You know, that's not. I'm not out to do that. I'm out to do it through education, understanding, of course. But um. Ignorance is a hard thing at a certain age in life to tell people you have to change. That, you can change your ignorance into, into righteousness better quicker than I could ch uh, change my sexuality any more than you could change your spouse's and sexuality, too. We have choices that we can make uh, as we're educated. But in terms of sexuality, it's a tongue deal. I'm wired this way, you're wired that way. Let's all live in, let's all live in this world together. Well, that's Otherwise, it. you know, we just become a microcosm of what's happening around the world. It's fight, fight, kill. Well, guess what? It's, you will not erase us from the face of the earth. No, you can't. Possible. It's there. It's there. It's been there since the beginning of time. It'll be there long after you and I are gone. And and I and now, t in your opinion, and I think you'll agree with this. I see it. Obviously, it's gotten better. Uh, to come out or, or just to acknowledge that you're gay since you were a kid. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. But, but do you think there's still 
maybe problems in the sense that maybe it, it, it's maybe a little bit more difficult in some areas. You got people who can tape you, or, or even um, what's the word I'm looking for? They can kind of blackmail you with it these days. Well, I think. The collective has made a gigantic way. I mean, the acceptance of gay people on television, the acceptance mm-hmm. of you know diff- being j- different, it's being better. Um, maybe we'll get the right to maybe we'll get the right to marriage. Maybe we'll uh, the, the gay men and women who serve our country and will bring will be able to say they're openly gay without sacrificing our our security, uh, which is ridiculous. And I agree. Already, they're fighting with war. They already come back, you know, to a, a, a thankless country because um, they're gay. Uh, which is hideous to me. And um, as far as the blackmailing thing, I think someone said, were you ever concerned about anybody saying something that you were gay when you were younger? I said, well, if they outed me, I would have to out them too for what they did. You know, that's how I felt about it. Um, The only fear that I had in the 70s, you know, because my career lasts decades now. Yeah. um, So was if if I felt that I needed to come out at that zero, uh, and I didn't see many people jumping off into, into the gay, uh, gay river at that point, off the gay bridge in the Midwest and Chicago. Um, I would have to give up my career, which I worked very hard for. Yeah. And if I, if that tainted the other guy's career, which had nothing to do with my sexuality, uh, I couldn't live with that. So I had a choice. I can stay within my what I was doing and live with it and bite it, or I can do it <laughs> You know, just be a wild card and leave the band because I could never, never live with the fact that if we sold less or or six had dropped down in popularity because they had one gay member. And, 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 it's, and it's funny because you look back at Freddie Mercury. I mean, I think it was pretty much an open secret that he was homosexual, wasn't it? Well, open secret's the word. I mean, yeah. And even Ricky Martin. That was a big Ricky open Martin. Secret. Yeah. No, and um, Elton John. Excuse me. Well, Elton's supposed to be bisexual. Like, oh, I thought. I thought Elton was bisexual. Well, now he's married to a man, so that, that's one that's that's becoming a homosexual. <laughs> you think there's a crossover period? I said, excuse me, my life's complicated enough. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, wait, 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 step back for a second. Now, this is the curiosity part. Now, you're born Catholic, obviously. Okay, good, strong <laughs> Italian family. With, with Italian Catholic. Italian Catholic. I, I, was, I got Italian and, uh, and German blood in me, so I got the whole nine yards going here. Um, you're growing up with that guilt. I mean, the Catholic guilt is bad enough without having to bring something this this loaded into the mix. What made you choose seminary school? You must, I mean, you knew at that point that you were gay. Were you trying to, I don't know, to work it out somehow within yourself and God? You thought this might be a vehicle to do so? I think, you know, in my in my. 14-year-old brain, which is a very mature brain, I think that that might have been part of it. Okay. You know, I don't want that escape, escapism was supposed to be about my head, mm-hmm. but it was about two days into it, I was, it was, was a huge mistake. This was not the answer to anything <laughs> in my life. I didn't, I couldn't, you know, it wasn't like, uh, a boarding school. <laughs> did you did you bring um, a bunch of horrible kids and boys together? Uh, no, it wasn't really. You know, they were very strict. There was no no outside influence, no newspaper, no TV. A lot of silence, a lot of praying, a lot of hitting. Um, <laughs> yeah, the regular was, Catholic was, experience. Was Catholic church covered and um, <laughs> a lot of isolation. You know, it was the first time I was away from home, and you know, I'm kind of like. But I grew up that year. I realized. Um, Religion was different to me than it was before. Yeah. I feel like I had to go to, to a church to pray, or you know, or uh, this is kind of, and this is rude, crude. You know, I sometimes I refer to God as a sky god. Oh, what's the sky god going to do today? What does the sky god have, have in store for me today? Otherwise, 
No, you you have a free will. It's what you have in store for yourself. Correct. Don't rely on that guy in the sky. <laughs> I've always believed. I, I've always believed it's it's your job to move forward in life and 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 i use god as that 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 backbone that support you know i'm moving forward but hey show me where you want me to go but i have to keep moving in order to get there but i want you to show me oh i i mean totally you know i i would say that you know there are there are certain things about religion that hold true you know certain things i believe in um I don't have to really believe in certain issues about abortion or female rights and productive rights. I think it's the right of a female to make those decisions. I think um, men dressed in black dresses have no, no it shouldn't have a vote. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, contraception, um, safe sex, yeah. economies, all these things are essential to a healthy life. Um, and, and as in the world, I, you know, I think it's really important to um, give the all other alternative, uh, a humanistic approach. To life as opposed to, to the holy, holy thing about you know, a wife and saying a hundred thousand Hail Mary. Uh, we could well, go into we, those Hail Marys going to protect you from unsafe sex. Uh, we could go into a whole. We, you and I could do a whole double show just on the Catholic Church and the guilt they threw at us growing up. That wouldn't be a problem. But I want to ask you before we roll into a commercial break here in a few minutes. Um, did you date women, Chuck? Did, did did you go in that direction just to see if that might be Thank you? you? I did have a friend. Uh, I, when I mentioned this to the guys in the band, some of the crew laughed. I go, oh, excuse me. I guess I was born old with a big hump on my back, huh? So I teased him about that. I said, well, I, you know, I was so young. I was all that bad. And um, I just went to a young woman who was very attracted to me and dated her for a while. And she asked me to marry her. And I said, I can't marry you because I'm gay. And her response was, who cares? I said, well, I do. No, it's not that. It's just that I could never make that a, make that a commitment. I thought it would be wrong for me and why would I lie to, to her and tell her that I could be faithful or, or that I would go on and be myself I just couldn't do that so only women can friends. do that only I, I don't think there's many men out there who would have a woman who would knowingly know that a woman is strictly homosexual and say that's alright let's get married where for some reason women and I guess it's more on an emotional level. It has to be because because sex isn't as in, as my wife likes to say is not as important to women as it is to men. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. Matt's looking at that's not what she means, Matt. It's a conversational situation. Trust me, I wouldn't be there if that was the case. But but the point being, it has to be a woman thing, and 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 you are not willing to to live a lie. I that that. It wouldn't be fair at the end yeah. of her, her. I would be living a lie. She would be living a lie. You know, and that lie would only produce more lies. And what's the point of that? So how about going from the the the, the, the uh, from the from the um, pan into the fire? I was, I was I knew it was wrong for me. I knew it was wrong for her. I just knew it was wrong for her. And um, so you know, we're still good friends, and I see her um, sometimes. And. It's kind of funny, I won't mention her name, but she was married a few times, and yeah. her husband died of HIV. So. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll keep, yeah. yeah, we're going to take a break here, Chuck. We're talking to Chuck Benzone. He is the co-founder of the super band Sticks. We're doing his life story as well as the band. We'll be back in a few. Two in the morning, and you can't sleep. You're behind on your mortgage payments. 
Everything was going along fine until you had those unexpected medical bills. Now you don't know where to turn. You don't want to lose your house. Help is available for Pennsylvania residents. The Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency can put you in touch with a counseling agency in your area. They'll work with you to identify actions you can take to possibly avoid foreclosure, and they can help with steps that may improve the affordability of your mortgage. There's no cost for this counseling service. So get a good night's sleep, and in the morning, call the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency at 800-822-1174. That number again is 800-822-1174. Call during business hours or visit our website at www.phfa.org. Look for the hot topics that appear, and then click on the one for foreclosure counseling. Check it out. You'll sleep easier once you do. Hi, I'm Perry Ritchie from Advent Nutrition, and I'm inviting you to listen to WCHE's premier nutritional information show, Mission Nutrition. Tune in every Tuesday afternoon from 4 to 4.30. I'll be discussing the most current research findings and therapies available in all areas of health, from how to lose weight and keep it off to managing a host of other medical conditions, from insulin resistance to heart disease, fibromyalgia to osteoporosis, autoimmune disease, menopause, cancer support, and more. So please join me. I'll introduce you to special guests, great programs, and an open line every week so you can call in and ask questions to get and keep you feeling fit, happy, and healthy. So tune in every Tuesday from 4 to 4.30 right here on 1520 AM WCHE Westchester. Remember, your health is your responsibility. So let's take charge of it together. For a lighthearted look at issues affecting seniors, the baby boom generation, and their families, including finances, care, the law, and decisions the over 50 generation face every day, tune in to WCHE's 50 Plus Planning Ahead. The show is co-hosted by elder law attorney Janet Colleton and Phil McFadden, co-owner of Homestead Senior Services. 50 Plus Planning Ahead airs Wednesday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. Janet and Phil will be joined by guests who will discuss what we do when we get older and how to assist our parents with their needs. So tune in Wednesdays at 4.30 p.m. for 50-plus Planning Ahead on your home for local news, talk, sports, and entertainment. WCHE 1520 AM. It's 2 in the morning and you can't sleep. You're behind on your mortgage payments. Everything was going along fine until you had those unexpected medical bills. Now you don't know where to turn. You don't want to lose your house. Help is available for Pennsylvania residents. The Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency can put you in touch with a counseling agency in your area. They'll work with you to identify actions you can take to possibly avoid foreclosure. And they can help with steps that may improve the affordability of your mortgage. There's no cost for this counseling service. So get a good night's sleep. And in the morning, call the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency at 800-822-1174. That number again is 800-822-1174. Call during business hours or visit our website at www.phfa.org. Look for the hot topics that appear and then click on the one for foreclosure counseling. Check it out. You'll sleep easier once you do. I'm a
can't sing. I, I feel too bad. I just probably insulted Dude, Chuck. let them sing, all right? I, know. <laughs> just, I got a voice for radio. I don't have a voice to sing. I never have. That's I horrible. I the face for radio, but that's not. Nah, that, that's, that's just like, a hey, little blow, you know. Come on, I look like Russell Crowe. I hear it all the time. Uh, yeah, and I look like, uh, who's the guy from uh, Wolverine? Uh, which one? Um, Hugh Jackman. That's, that's like what Hugh I get Jackman a lot. Yeah. And you're working out hard. You're putting the Damn right. Damn right. Damn right. Excellent. Got to do. You got to turn it down. It's fading, man. You got to let it fade. You got to let it fade. Respect Chuck's going, the fade. I know Chuck's in there going, what the hell are these guys doing? And when are they getting to the interview again? <laughs> you there, Chuck? Are you guys auditioning for singing? Are we? I can't sing. I, I mean, if you want, I could be your bodyguard. That's about the extent I can go. I have absolutely no oh. musical talent. Now, my youngest daughter, she looks like Tyler Swift, and she can sing like her kind of, I guess. I don't want to say Taylor she's Swift, man. Taylor, Taylor, I don't know. I live, I live with this stuff at home. I'm sorry. No, my 12-year-old has the musical uh, voice talent, and she can play guitar real well. I have nothing. Well. I have nothing, Chuck. I'm telling you. All I have is my voice and my physical size. That's it. Nothing else, nothing more. <laughs> Put that on your resume. I'll make sure I check that you out. You want to check back? I got a sales and marketing background. If you're looking for uh, either a bodyguard or, or PR work in marketing, I can do all that for you. Other than that, you have no use for me, <laughs> to be honest. We're looking at Chuck Maxone. He is the co-founder of the super rock group Sticks. It, Chuck, let me tell you something. I was telling you yesterday, we were... Uh, my wife and I saw you play during the Def Leppard tour a few years back with Ario Speedwagon up in Hershey, and uh, you guys came out rocking. I mean, there was there was not a, a misbeat or anything. Uh, it was uh, I, I, actually a lot of the tunes you guys sang I'd actually forgotten about. And uh, when I when I left that within a couple of days, I went out and bought a couple sticks uh, CDs. You, you get, it must feel really good and almost powerful i guess to be a rock and roll star you 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 command such power can you kind of relate that to us a little bit what's it like to look out into the crowd and see hundreds you know, tens of thousands of people looking back at you and knowing you're the center of attention they want to be there with you that night uh, it's very empowering you know you walk out there you get a nice introduction from tommy and um just like i have arrived and we're very the band in general is very focused and you know they're they're ready to rock on and you know and I kind of like have to have the same energy level they probably established so I can pop you out there about from the side of the stage and I just look at that crowd and I go oh my god I go, I have this feeling I'm an exhibitionist and a lawyer <laughs> I get to look at them and they're always looking at me <laughs> I look at all my pant my zippers on but. Um, <laughs> But that's, and then hit it, you know, it's all about the music and um, you get this immediate response from fans. It's just energizing, you know, and people say to me, well, how can you travel? How can you do this? I said, for that moment, when you enter the stage and you open up yourself and your heart to thousands of people there, and what they give back to you and what you give to them is an amazing experience and very unique. Um, one, I said, how many people go to a job and everyone stands up and claps? <laughs> not many I do. No, no not I many know. at all. Um, and then, and then we all you you left this paperwork on your desk. Oh, who cares? I'm the boss. So, um, so all the things that nine to fivers have to deal with, you know, are just not in my, in my agenda. Which means work, um, a lot of traveling, but it's all worth it when everything coalesces and you're on that band with, the, with those singers and artists. You look around the crew that made this happen. Well, gigantic family, and it goes. It's like a traveling circus. Well, you hit the lottery. I mean, you hit the lottery. You and the band when you guys become famous. I mean, there's a lot of people out there with talent. You know that that never ever get a chance to go 
where you guys have gone. And uh, you know, there, there's a you know, there's definitely luck involved, a lot of hard work, and the fact that you have natural talent, God-given talent. Well, I'm 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 very you know. There was a time I have to admit that I was a little not happy for a while there. I think I was unhappy with myself. But the fact that my brother and I had were given this talent and we were able to use it, you know, and make it grow and be part of something that's it's pretty difficult to be in a band that can actually stay together and like each other for thirty some over thirty years. I always put and their wives too. Um, I should be like that. But you know, you're not you're not only dealing with the band, you're dealing with their mates, and you know, it can be intense when you're young. But um, you have to if if you respect each other, you respect what you do, you're going to overcome anything. I truly believe that. And um, that's part of our legacy, you know, the fact that we have this body of work, it's truly musical, truly inspiring. Also the fact that you can find adults who can stay together, even though we're very childlike in our creativity. All it is, if without that respect for one another, this wouldn't work. And uh, we've, learned, we've learned to live with each other in tense, in tense small, small little places because of the joy of performing with each other. We're talking to Chuck Ponzone. He is the co-founder of the super rock group Sticks. Chuck, did the was it was it an open secret in the band that you were gay, or was it just something? Hey, it's known. We don't really care. You know, we love you anyway. Just do your job. <laughs> Well, that's pretty much it. You know, I was not, I was not outrageously young, screaming. I had, oh, look at me, look at me. You know, I sound low key. In fact, everyone thought on stage they would guess who the gay guy was. Of course, poor Tommy was always the one they picked because was, he was the cutest. Yeah, yeah. That's because sometimes for flamboyant acts, for for flamboyance, yeah, it's flamboyance on stage. Uh, no, it's a guy that looks like the the, uh, the guy with the dark hair that looks like he's a biker. He's the gay guy. Chuck, you couldn't say any better because. You know, obviously, I didn't know that you know that you were gay until I you know found out here and we were setting the interview up. But I have to admit, I thought it was Dennis. I have to. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I take that back. I I didn't see you as being as you as being gay. You were like one of the last one up there that I would have thought so. But, you know, I think um, that's pretty much my expression as a person. I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I truly believe in gay rights, and it, uh, you know, I'm there. But I don't feel like I have to um, shout it. I just am my personage, and you know, I, and when I when I cut my hair really short, and I looked like I just walked out of Castro Street in San Francisco. It was in 1975, <laughs> and I showed up at a photo shoot. They go, "What did you do to your hair?" I said, "Well, how can I compete with you bleached blonde guys and all that long hair?" I said, "It's impossible. I have to look different." And really, it's kind of a, um, Pass aggressive same and say, I am different, but you don't understand what they say why I'm different. So it kind of established my look and myself for the next 20 years. And, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. It, um, and I never waver from In fact, that sometimes the guy's wife go, Chuck looks more as modern in the 70s as he does right now with this haircut. So it's kind of like cool, you know, it kind of changed with the times when I'm not seeing to the same old thing or, you know, like you said, moving forward. I mean, if you're going to be part of a decade, you've got to look like there's some part of the decade that you're experiencing. I, I agree. Uh, I agree. You guys did it pretty well there in the early 80s, too. I thought the look was perfect. Um, what... What was it like, I, I guess, being on the road and having the groupies? I, I mean, did you have your own set of kind of groupies in the sense that, that you know that people out there knew that you know that you were gay, and there was kind of again that gravitation pull to some of it, or do you, or you just have to basically say no constantly to women? Well. I, uh, most of the guys in six were married, so that kind of really cut down on the groupie traffic. Believe me, I mean, if there was one wife. 
out with us. The no were no girls around at all. They were just completely banned. And we would say, we would say oh, the road crew's over there. <laughs> 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 so it was very easy, more easy for me than people think. And I just kind of walked my way through it. And you know, I didn't make, say anything. I just was a little more aloof. And you know, I just walked my way my, Situation, and um, of course the girls love that. The guys' wives love that. Why can't you go like Chuck? I said, you don't want that totally. But um, the other thing is, you know, my perception was I was the only gay guy that liked rock and roll. If I told anybody, they oh, I was a musician. Oh, do you play in church? No, do you like just go? Not really. I'm in rock and roll. And Mark Way, oh, bye. There was not that idea that any they were gay men from my generation that liked rock they were more into a, a different kind of style because they weren't exposed to it because of the cultural situation how we, how we um gay men you see me in dance bars and situations like that and i have no problem with that but they just couldn't make the connection well what now yeah you kind of jumping forward here a little bit now you you get diagnosed with aids in in, in 1991 we were talking earlier about that now yeah, that, that was a John, that was HIV. It was oh, sorry, HIV. HIV. I take that back. That's right. There's a, obviously a separation. As a matter of fact, my father actually asked me that question last night. I had to explain it to him. So you get diagnosed with, uh, diagnosed with HIV. First of all, did you live a reckless lifestyle? At that point, um, I mean, well, I mean, were you reckless within your sexuality? I mean, you know, prior to 1985, and I was only a teenager then. Prior to Rock Hudson and everything else that happened. You know, no one really knew about uh, HIV or AIDS. Uh, it was just kind of coming onto the radar. Did you did you live that lifestyle that 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 was maybe uh, uh, a little more out there? And and I'm not judging because I would have lived the same way, being heterosexual or being homosexual. I'm just kind of curious. Did you kind of live that lifestyle? Well, I'm not going to deny the situation. Uh, you know, during the seventies, was. Um there was a big gigantic movement about uh, having open sex uh, with whenever you wanted. There's a celebration, and um, when I would come home from the road, I go out with my friends. We hit some bars, and you know we play and um, people. You know, and then I'd be gone for maybe a month or two and come back and do the same thing. So I wasn't in, in it every day of the week like many of my friends were. Um, but when I came home, I wanted to be part of a community. Um, I was, you know, because I was inundated with the, with, with the straight to me because of my job. That I needed a lot with, um, for my self-expression. So yeah, I, I it would say, yeah, I played. And um, but I said, how did you get HIV? I said, I said, I said well, it wasn't the main intervention choice. What do you think? So yeah, I said, yeah. It's part of part of that um, scene. And um, it wasn't until the first guy who got HIV in Chicago. I actually knew him. Oh. We were friends, and um, with some other friends, and. It was so sobering when he died. I was like, we all say we're shocked. Well, from, from from him, it went on to, in my 30s, I became a professional pauper, watching all my friends die one after the other. So by the time I was um, um, diagnosed with HIV, it wasn't a shock to me because we all swam the same swimming pool. No, you yeah. can't. Even though Chicago's a big town, it's a small town. Like any big city becomes a small city. You know what that better than the back of your hand. People go, oh, I, Chicago's so big. I said, well, not if you live here. It shrinks down. You know, so, yeah, I was, I played around and, um, it's unfortunate, but, you know, it was an error that happened. Um, of the 28 men minimum who died of this illness, I'm very blessed to have, have, have come through it. Um, well, you have the access, the, though. You, you have the access to that more so than a lot of people would uh, to the different uh, medications that are needed and, and the proper health care. I mean, just, you know, we, we live in a country, obviously, in the United States, where we have good health care. 
but it's not always the greatest uh, compared to a third world country it is but but you have that capability which which is which is your saving grace i would assume well, you know, before 1995, if you got HIV and it developed to AIDS, you were dead. There's no doubt in my mind. But there are guys who lived through that, but they were so blasted with medication, the worst thing. They wouldn't be giving them arsenic every day. Um, the box of it's extremely harsh medication. They had, some of them have survived, and you know, they're sick all the time with maladies because of the medication. Now, for me, you know, I simply waited for the bell curve to hopefully go over the hump. Uh, I was able in 1995 to take advantage of 40s inhibitors which completely changed a lifespan, you know, and changed everything and made, made you live longer and not go insane like a lot of the drugs did before. And um, unfortunately, my friend Richard, who, who I asked once I was diagnosed with HIV to have the same test, he refused. He said, no. I said, well, what's wrong? Is it my job, my this, my dad? I said, isn't your life worth this? So as I'm getting better, he dies of AIDS-related lymphoma. That's that gotta be really hard for me. That's, that's gotta me, be yeah. rough, like you said, to see your friends, uh, people you've been close to, maybe been intimate with, uh, just start dying because of a disease that that people at the time, and, and not as much now, unless you got that crazy preacher yeah. guy driving around. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, let me tell you something right now. Uh, I got friends of mine in the military. If something happened to them, and that clown showed up to protest their funeral, oh, I'd be in prison. I, I'd be in prison for murder. I know myself on that one. That's just disgusting. Uh -huh. But, but, but back then, uh, you must have watched the Ryan White situation pretty closely, what the town was doing to him. It was, it was so appalling to me. You know, um, even when Matthew Johnson came out and said he had AIDS, you know, they had to make sure that they said it wasn't from gay men. It's like, it doesn't matter who, who it's from. You have HIV, you have AIDS. Talk about this disease and the illness. Don't politicize and religiousize this illness because, you know, it was a shameful period during the 80s when Ronald Reagan couldn't even say the word AIDS. So a segment of this population was thrown to the side and considered lepers. That's not, that's not smart. That's not smart at all. You know, at all. It's a shameful period. Now, I think the gay community, came together and made sure that someone eventually challenged the United States and that's why and the people of the United States said we can we can we can overcome this. You know, but it does it takes more than just us to change this thing. Now of course we see this disease has gone global. Yes. And so no one had the vision to think that this would impact the entire world. But you know we're we're still that's what we still speak about and I know it kinda of gets like the terror hall record. But as as my aunt was aunt once said, Well why do you always have to talk about it? I said, Well why does um McDonalds always have to advertise things? Because they want the next generation not to know. Not you know, there are ways to protect yourself now. There's there's better drugs. But the whole idea is to not to get the, not to get the, the, the virus at all. No, that's an excellent way of putting it. You're advertising for the next generation. Because as I told you, my wife and I, we know a lot of gay men and women. And, and they're, some, some are very close friends of ours. And uh, we have conversations about this all the time. If you were to see me, you would probably think I'm probably the most conservative person who would have absolutely no time whatsoever for anyone who's gay, that I would look like someone who's just a bigot in that regards. But it, but not even close. I, 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 I've been around it enough uh, to know people who, who have known people who have died of it. And you can see, at least I've been able to pick up on it, when it comes to that conversation, the hollow look that goes through their eyes. It's like, it's like they've been almost through a war, watching friends and having to deal with their own personal issues. Well, you know, 10 years ago, I was 132 pounds. Wow. I've come a long way from that little skinny guy to being a big 
that but guy now. I feel strong and healthy looking um, uh, only to my a lot of mental and physical involvement and my finding who I was, who I am and what I was about and um, my desire to help um, speak out about the illness and to give my friend who just passed away, you know, I wanted to, to speak from him because he was gone. You know, his mother came to see him in the hospital one time in nine months. I was his only visitor from his family at all. Are you serious? So, you know, that's heartbreaking. Um, it's, it's at a human level. What mother abandons her son? It's like almost, uh, uh, you know, that's almost like... <laughs> uh, it's, I didn't understand it because my mother could never accept the fact that I was gay. So, you know, when you, look at, when you don't get that unconditional love for a parent, it's the worst, but um, you know, you, 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 then you then then you go through these things despite of people. That's why that's why I think sometimes I draw my strength. You know, like we said before, if you're in my way and you can't help me, then move aside because I'm going forward. I agree. I, I feel the same way about what I have to live with. If you're going to sit there and try to judge me on it, you don't know a damn thing about me. If you look at my resume, less music, obviously, you'll see that I've accomplished a lot of things that I'm very proud of, despite what I might have. Uh, and, and I don't go around. I, it's known here on the in the station. I've talked about it publicly. I don't go around announcing it to employers or anything or people I'm doing contract work with. But if they happen to know, they happen to know. Um Give us an idea of your regimen, Chuck. What, what's it like to get up in the morning? How many uh, different medications do you have to take, special diet you might eat or, and work out and so forth? Well, um, I, I just spoke in front of a group of HIV guys in Washington, D.C., and what I usually do is when I speak, I, we talk about the advance of medication. So I have two two baggies, uh, plastic baggies, you can see through, and I pull one off that's full of medication. I say, you see this? I shake it in front of them, and they all know what I'm talking about. And I pull another back up, which has two two vials of medication. And I say, you see this? This is how far we've come from living this thing 24 hours, um, like tied to this medication every hour, every five hours. Can't eat this, can't do that, can't drink here, can't do that. And now we're much freer with our medication. I become less sick during the process of taking this taking them. And it's given me a quality of life to be able to go out with a rock and roll band. I mean, that's been a huge, a huge difference for me. Um, also, I had to get over this. It was my fault, part of how I got sick, and yeah. realizing it's an illness, like any other illnesses. And um, that was a big, that was a big <laughs> slap reality. And it was for the for the good, you know. I, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm against what I'm saying is negative. It was, it was an incredibly uplifting experience, and um, it's all those small changes that, that, that make this gigantically forward for me. And um, I got up very early in the morning. We got off the bus. We have to be on the bus at two in the afternoon. We may be at the venue for five hours before I hit the stage. Back to the stage, I said, "I need more than pizza. I need real food to eat." You understand? <laughs> I had to take medicine. So we uh, we got kicked off the bus at four. Going to the hotel room. They wake us up again for two o'clock. It's kind of a grind, but um, it's what I like and keeps me on a schedule. Even right? though the schedule changes, but you know, it's given me the strength to say, even at my age, sixty-two, I can do it again. And so. Um, Someone said to me, for an older guy, you look good. I said, let's try the, for an old guy, you look good. You look good. I said, let's try to use the word older. Excellent. Excellent. We're talking to John Penzone. He is the co-founder of the super rock group Sticks. We'll be back in a few moments.
Join WCHE Tuesday afternoons at 4.30 for our new show, Wellness 411, hosted by Dr. Lauren Schofield of Advanced Chiropractic Wellness Center. Hello, my name is Dr. Lauren Schofield, and I'll be talking about today's hot topics on healthcare. To engage and educate my listeners, I welcome callers to my show to ask questions to participate in the discussion. Again, tune in to 1520 AM WCHE, Tuesday afternoons at 4.30, to think and explore ways to improve your own How health. How many of you love to read? That's great, because there's a new show on WCHE called The Avid Reader, hosted by Sam Hankin. Mr. Hankin owns the Wellington Square Bookshop in Exton, and it's been named the best independent bookstore by the Mainline Today editors, featured on the cover of Chester County Life magazine, a featured article in the Daily Local News, and Sam Hankin has as one of the most breathtaking bookstores in all of Chester County. Well, fortunately for all of us avid readers, Sam Hankin will be reviewing some of the best-selling books and authors during his show on Mondays at 4.30, right here on 1520 WCHE Radio. So tune in and call in Mondays at 4.30 for the Avid Reader Show, hosted by the owner and operator of the Wellington Square Bookshop, Sam Hankin. Matt Lombardo wakes you up every weekday and tackles the issues head on and goes toe-to-toe with newsmakers every Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. on the WCHE Wake Up Call with Matt Lombardo on 1520 WCHE. For a lighthearted look at issues affecting seniors, the baby boom generation, and their families, including finances, care, the law, and decisions the over 50 generation face every day, tune in to WCHE's 50 Plus Planning Ahead. The show is co-hosted by elder law attorney Janet Colleton and Phil McFadden, co-owner of Homestead Senior Services. 50 Plus Planning Ahead airs Wednesday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. Janet and Phil will be joined by guests who will discuss what we do when we get older and how to assist our parents with their needs. So tune in Wednesdays at 4.30 p.m. for 50-plus Planning Ahead on your home for local news, talk, sports, and entertainment. WCHE 1520 AM. It's 2 in the morning and you can't sleep. You're behind on your mortgage payments. Everything was going along fine until you had those unexpected medical bills. Now you don't know where to turn. You don't want to lose your house. Help is available for Pennsylvania residents. The Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency can put you in touch with a counseling agency in your area. They'll work with you to identify actions you can take to possibly avoid foreclosure. And they can help with steps that may improve the affordability of your mortgage. There's no cost for this counseling service. So get a good night's sleep. And in the morning, call the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency at 800-822-1174. That number again is 800-822-1174. Call during business hours or visit our website at www.phfa.org. Look for the hot topics that appear and then click on the one for foreclosure counseling. Check it out. You'll sleep easier once you do.
serious what you just said to me? Your hot water heater burst? Oh, yeah, like an hour and a half ago. Fun times, right? The, yeah. the one, that's karma. The one Saturday I have to come in here and work. The one day, of course, that's when the pipe broke. I'm sorry, brother. All right. Okay. Taking okay. care of. Hey, well, we're enjoying the interview. This is oh, the, great. one of the best I've ever done. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Chuck, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, my guest is Chuck Manzone. He is the co-founder of the Super Rock Group Sticks. We've been discussing his, uh, uh, him being homosexual, uh, having acquired HIV uh, AIDS, uh, as well as obviously the uh, history of the Rock Group Sticks. Chuck, uh, treatment now, the future treatment here for AIDS. Um, are you looking, I know you're a big proponent of a vaccine. Do you think we're close? Uh, research is our, is our only hope. I think we're getting close all the time. I don't think there'll, there'll be uh, there'll be a necessary cure for me. I think my medication will get better. Now there'll be a cost. I'll get sick. Uh, there's a new study out about a new pill. They call it the blue pill, which might be able to get the young men and women who um, do high risk activity. You know, it's a promising uh, form of um, medication. You know, we just have to continue to work on you know this issue. Um, in fact, when I was sick, I did a lot of trial drugs, and my motivation was someone did this drug. For, so I could use it and live. So I think um, pretty much that's the focus these days. I'm getting involved with them. Um, I'm pretty, pretty kind of proactive, you know, in that area. Um, I like this one company called Geovax, and they're um, promoting um, a virus a vaccine. We want something cheap. My drugs cost $50,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. Now, do you write that off on your taxes? Do you write that off in your taxes? Yeah, well, you don't. I'm blessed. I'm blessed to work with the band that helps that, but also private insurance. Okay, okay. And, um, <laughs> there's a lot of guys down here that don't. They yeah, people with families. And I met this guy, young guy who's. He said, "I'm the first one to tell him I'm HIV and I'm married." I said, "Well." We'll talk about that in a few moments. It's kind of be undaunting, you know, to be married and realize you have HIV. Um, I mean, I, I do meet a lot of people in my talks, and um, I try to be as informed as I can, even though I tell them I'm not a doctor. If you think you're I, my authority, so you think I have HIV, I said, I don't know what you have, but you should go to a doctor if you think you do. I'm, I'm just a musician in a rock and roll band. But, um, <laughs> I get the same questions, trust me. I get emails every week asking about bipolar and I give as much information but I always sit there and go I am not a doctor you must go to a doctor I'm just a, I'm just a guy on the radio that's all the hell I am I have this guy who stays here at my house he's always kind of nervous I said did you, did you take your medication to me <laughs> <laughs> listen I'm not a doctor but you know, how much is it going to cost you go into, into the hospital a lot more than those drugs are so I kind of well, get the Mr. Panazzo look don't give me that but um, <laughs> I, after I have cancer I have pressure cancer. I got these answers about cancer. Go to the doctor. A surgeon, you know. Did but, they, um, is there any, uh, the doctors put any correlation? I mean, no, prostate cancer is common. They're common, more common than men, obviously, as far as it's something that we're, we can have as we get older. Any correlation between that and possibly, uh, possibly being uh, HIV AIDS? Is there a breakdown in immunity that the doctors go, Chuck, this might be a byproduct of that? I think some of the byproducts would be um, pancreatitis, um, okay. maybe a high blood pressure could lead to heart attack, um, no liver dysfunction because of the amount of medication we take, which is, you know, if you don't um, uh, 
you know, you have to. We, you can't be a big drinker and expect not to. And even even if you're not, especially for that to catch up to. So if you want to speed your illness up, I would say drink and smoke a lot and um, yeah. all the bad things that most people do. All I did is to preserve your health. And for me, once I regained my health back and I was able to like win the lottery again, besides the fifth lottery, <laughs> then back to the time lottery. You know, I said, I how many more chances will I get? You know, I, I hold this. Um, Seriously, I, I do have a sense of humor about life because I think, believe that's the only way anyone can get through it. But on the other hand, when it comes time to realization, you know, I used to tell my students, if you want to be treated like a man, you have to act like one. But these are 14 year old boys. Of course, yeah. I have to say that to them, and all of a sudden they get furious. You know, you have to challenge them. And um, life's a challenge, and I think sometimes you have to realize, you know, if you're an adult, you better act like one now. And, um, there's never any harm by doing the right thing. There's always, there's always a self doubt when you do the wrong thing because you know what you did. But um, this young guy said to me, "Well, what?" And I know what's in. Well, what happened if someone you know had sex and didn't have a condom? I said, "High risk." I said, "What do you think?" Well, that's that's you know that's it. I mean. You know, there's enough information out there now. Just I, I like to say this to my daughters, and, and, and especially my oldest, when she was in high school and so forth. There is no reason in this day and age to become pregnant unless you want to become pregnant. There is more than enough information. The birth control pill is either deeply discounted or free at most clinics. Uh, if you decide to do something and have unprotected sex, you have. Well, I don't care if you tell me it's the heat of the moment. You have made that choice. Period. You made the choice. There's no reason this day and age, even now with, with HIV AIDS, you know the risks are there. You, you know no one's hiding the facts anymore. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, how dumb I was, let's say, you know, when I was diagnosed with HIV, I was not afraid at all. I thought, okay, but when I got sick and the medication and the time it took for me to get better, when the doctor says it's going to take you two years, Two years. Yeah. A call takes like two weeks, two years. I'm going to be sick for two years every day, which which is what I was. You know that was daunting. You know, and I think um, in the million years, I never thought it would be such a um, a difficult mountain to climb. On the other hand, I did I did reach the top of it. So as I said earlier, if you're not changed by that experience, then there's something wrong with you. You know. Um, and you never want anyone to have to go through that again. It's going to be less, but it was still difficult in your job market and, um, yeah. you know, or, or traveling, all these issues that will always arise. Or if you're, if you're straight and you want to get married, what about your wife, what about having children? You have to be thinking all the time now, you know, um, and like, and materials out there. There's information out there. There's a computer. There's parents who are open with you and are willing to make sure you succeed at every level of your life. And if you don't have that number of parents, then find a good counselor. Find a, you know, just don't be stupid. There's no need for that anymore. No, no, not not at all. Not at all. we got a few minutes left, a couple minutes here, and I want to kind of take it to a little bit of a lighter note now. Uh, first, I want to thank you, you and the band. You guys did that song, uh, Show Me the Way, back in 1991. I was over in the Gulf. And... Uh, that was a that became an anthem for uh, for the Persian Gulf War for the families and so forth. So that was I, I actually forgot you guys wrote that. I was doing some research last night and I'm going, oh my God, they wrote that song that came out. So I want to thank you for that song from the families and and the soldiers of that time period. 
Well, John, I really feel uh, very strongly about our men, servicemen and women. This year we did a series of dates, free dates for uh, the armed forces. You know, we actually thought they lost the out for us to go over there, but that kind of fell through because of the uh, um, um, budgets um, on the other part. On the other hand, we allowed men and women and our families to come and see shows for free. And every woman member said thank you for, for serving, you know. And um, we, we, as a band, mean, and I mean on a personal level, you know, my dad was in war. My sister was born during war. Time. Yeah, I'm, a boom, I'm a boom kid, so I understand that totally. Oh, I can tell um, the whole thing with you guys on the baby boom part. Another quick question here. Um, for, well, first, real quick, are you guys going on tour again? Should I expect something shortly in the Northeast? Well, on let's see, on December for uh, December third, we're playing. Um, it's a secret, so I can only tell we're performing for a hockey game and the next day for the. Uh, I was told this by the our manager. Just say it's a secret. I said, okay, George, secret, secret. So that's the secret thing. Then we head out to um, uh, to the West Coast for we work 17 shows in January. Okay. So eventually we're gonna work our way east, and when we do, I'll let you know that. Great. Okay. I'll stay in touch with you on that one because I'd love to meet you personally and get you to sign okay. some things for me. Last question. What is Mr. Roboto about? I know you get that question probably a lot. In, in one minute, can you explain to me what the song is about? Hmm. Thirteen years later, I still ponder that. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is Dennis's dream idea, and um, it's about. I, I guess. believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, think I, have it. You know, I actually have a copy of it. Sometimes I put it on. Uh, but um, you know, it was a nice concept. Unfortunately, it didn't quite reach the standard that we. You know, I was just very confusing. Um, it's a good music and Tommy. You know, I don't think any of which became movie stars out of it. Or did much of our career beyond um, that, but uh, there's a generation I keep saying we had other albums before Mr. Oh, can you please listen to them? My favorite side is Mr. Butter. I said, How old were you? Oh, I was like 15. Chuck, I appreciate it. We had a blast. I'm looking forward to talking to you again in the future. Really looking forward to meeting with you and see the band. Talking to Chuck Manzone, he is the co founder of the supergroup Sticks. We've been talking about his life, his diagnosis with HIV AIDS back in the early 90s to his present day life and Chuck is doing fine. Chuck, I'll talk to you real soon, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You did a great job. Thank you.